So this evening I want to talk about the fourth of the distortions, the last one. And uh, it is seeing what is not beautiful as beautiful. And as you probably already know, this is often um, directed toward the body. This is one of the main things that we tend to see as beautiful without looking at the ways in which it's not beautiful. We get caught up in lust and um, a lot of identification with the body. So I thought maybe we could start thinking about, like for example, hair. <laughs> My dentist says that Americans spend more on their hair than they do on their teeth. We're pretty into, into it. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not so much into it at this point. <laughs> it's a real relief, I have to tell you. <laughs> I got a, a Facebook mess, messenger message from a woman a few days ago. And she said, I want to be a nun. I'm tired of this life where it's all about what you've got. It's all about how you look. I want to be a Buddhist nun. So I wrote back to her and we messaged a, a few times back and forth. And it, her, her um, cover photo, her photo, is just the back of her head with this amazing hair going all the way down. That's her cover photo. I looked at her Facebook uh, page and all of her cover photos were some version of that. <laughs> and then she wrote to me, do all the nuns have their heads shaved? <laughs> I said, yes. She wrote back, good to know. <laughs> um, she said, there are some things that are more important than hair. So we'll see. <laughs> um, I want to share one of the Terigata uh, poems with you. This is from Sundari Nanda. Now this is the Buddha's half-sister. So as you know, the Buddha was, um, was born and his mother passed away about a week after he was born and his um, mother's sister <coughs> was also a wife of the king, his father, and um, she went on to have two children, a boy and a girl. And when the Buddha came back after his enlightenment, many of the men in his family ordained. And then sometime later, maybe some scholars and historians think maybe um, six or seven years later, um, many of the women also ordained. And Sundari, Sundari means beautiful. Beautiful Nanda. She was really, really beautiful. 
And her mother, Mahapajapati, ordained, and many of the other women in her family, and she did too. But she wasn't um, doing it out of faith. She was doing it to want to be with her family. Now, everything I'm telling you comes from the commentary. Um, and, you know, anyhow, I just want you to know where it comes from. The backstory. And then in the commentary it says, and I'm not sure if this shows up in the suttas or the vignette might, but I'm not completely sure, that, you know, she because she wasn't because she was so beautiful and she still valued that, um, the Buddha, through his psychic powers, created a vision for her to see of herself as she was and how she was would age. So just before her eyes, her own image aging. And that that really had an impact on her. And I think nowadays there's an app for that. <laughs> <laughs> but he said to her, Nanda, see this bag of bones as diseased, filthy, and rotten. With mind unified and serene, meditate on the ugly aspects of the body. As this is, so is that. As that is, so is this. A foul stink wafts from it. It is the fool's delight. She says, reviewing my body in such a way, tireless all day and night, having broken through with my own wisdom, I saw... Being diligent, properly investigating, I truly saw the body both inside and out. Then growing disillusioned with my body, I became dispassionate within, diligent, detached. I am quenched and at peace. Now, sometimes that kind of language can sound pretty harsh. And we have to understand the intention behind it. It's not to uh, become um, hateful of the body or disgusted in that kind of way that's got aversion in it, but it's to actually see if I think this is me and it changes, which it does all the time, it becomes more apparent later. It probably wasn't so apparent to Sundari Nanda at the at that point in her life yet. But when that body changes, we suffer because we're attached to it. And the question is, how do we let go of that attachment? So that's what happened with her. And that's the drawing of her right over there. I'm going to hang it up over there later. So when, um, when someone falls under the sway of lust, particularly for someone they shouldn't be with, that can be a real battle internally. And for monastics, obviously, that's like everybody. <laughs> so, you know, if that comes up, then one of the most powerful ways to work with it is is to look at the unbeautiful. 
And I've had this experience where, you know, something, you see something, something you weren't intending to see, but there it was, and lust arises. It can be like a firestorm. And maybe that image keeps coming back, and it just, it's hard to control, to tame, or to be, it's miserable, really. But imagining that body with the skin off really helps. Because <laughs> that's all we're looking at when we look at each other. And when, when we're comparing our bodies, even when we're comparing ourselves, what we think we are, what are we comparing? It's only the khandas. It's only things that really aren't us anyway. So this is something that is, is valuable to, to really look at. It was my first year in robes. I was in Anagarika, and I was living with a bhikkhuni, and we were in a we were in the Bay Area, but it was a relatively small kind of downtown area. And we were uh, walking for alms every day for the between the full moon of July and the full moon of October. And so the store owners and people got to know us. We got we got to the, people got used to seeing us walking. It doesn't matter whether anybody put anything in our bowls. It was more about, we were new in there in the area, and it was more about making connections and, and talking to people. So one day, one of the people that we had met previously um, came up to, well, we were talking, and he said, I made a drawing of you, too. And he produces this drawing, which was actually, the likeness was pretty good, except for the fact that, you know, there we were standing in our robes, and the robes were transparent. And, you know, as a nun, you're kind of like, ah! <laughs> that didn't really, that was, that was kind of hard to take in. And, um, Later, I don't really actually remember how the conversation went, but later we visited the monk who lived in that town. He was a really excellent monk. And we visited him often. He was really the support for us as we were getting started. And we told him about what happened. And I remember him asking me, so what would you like to have done? I said, I would like to get a hold of that drawing and tear it up. <laughs> and he said, hmm. He said, I think it would be better to ask him to go deeper. Draw what's under the skin. That would solve quite a bit of trouble. It w I wouldn't identify with it in the same way, <laughs> that's for sure. And that... that lustful, kind of tintillating would be gone. Um, because we don't fall in love with that under the skin or get excited about it or get um, 
what do I want to say, offensive about it. It's, it's, um, it's sobering, really, to think about what's really here in the body. And not, I mean, I, I find it calming. Um, so something to consider. So there are some other, besides the body, there are other beautiful and not beautiful things. And a lot of it has to do with our perception and, and our views. Um, Bobby the cat. Um, one morning we were walking out of the founder's cottage and right there at the bottom of the stairs was a dead mouse and there Bobby's laying just like look what I got look what I brought you (laughs) and I think my view and her view are quite different about whether or not that's beautiful and that's just one example right Um, when I look at the cabinet members in our government now I think it's really beautiful have a Native American as the Secretary of the Interior and someone who's openly gay and someone who's openly trans and, you know, the whole... I mean, President Biden said, you know, for the first time, our cabinet looks like our... like the people of America. And um, I think that's beautiful. But I I know that there are people, especially many of the people I grew up around, who would find it not so, because our views are very different. And I think they might even find it frightening. And so it's, you know, all of these vipalasa, as was pointed out earlier in the week, have a lot to do with our perception and our mind and our views. And so when we are faced with different perceptions, it's really important to really examine where our views and our perceptions are coming from and what they're producing. So it's it's not really just that beauty's in the eye of the beholder and it just depends on how you think about things it's also the case that if we see things more as they actually are, then we can also identify what's really beautiful, what's really not beautiful. And I'm thinking in terms of values, in terms of (coughs) goodness, in terms of what leads to peace and happiness, and what leads to stress and suffering. There's a sutta in the Connected Discourses, so that's the Sanyutta Nikaya, that I'm going to post. It's a little bit long. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to tell you the story. This is about um, the head of an acting troupe that comes to see the Buddha. And 
he says, I've heard that actors of the past who were teachers of teachers said that suppose an actor entertains and amuses people on a stage or at a festival with truth and lies, and when their body breaks up after death, they're reborn in the company of the laughing devas. What does the Buddha say about this? And the Buddha says, don't ask me that. He asks again the second time and the third time, and the Buddha said each time, don't ask me that. But then at the third time he said, clearly you're not, I'm not getting through to you. That's the actual translation. I kind of like it. Clearly I'm not getting through to you when I say enough. Let it be. Don't ask me that. But since you keep asking, I will tell you that when sentient beings are still not free of greed. Actually, sometimes that word is translated as lust. And are still bound by greed or lust. And an actor on the stage or at a festival presents them with even more arousing things, so like you're stoking up the lust or the greed. Or when sentient beings are still not free of hatred, and are still bound by hate, an actor on a stage or in a festival presents them with even more hateful things. Or when a sentient being, when sentient beings are still not free of delusion or still bound up by delusion, an actor on a stage or a festival presents them with even more delusory things. And so, being heedless and negligent themselves, they've encouraged others to be heedless and negligent. After death, they're reborn in the hell of laughter. There's no such actual hell, but I think what the Buddha is saying is, you're not going in a good direction. And I never really had thought about it before. And I think this is another reason why frivolous speech is so important. It gets listed in the top ten unwholesome things. It's because we stir up greed, hatred, and delusion in others. And this is, this is really harmful. So when we think about things as they're beautiful or not beautiful, we can look at everything that we um, come in contact in life with in life, like what we see in entertainment, you know, is, is it stirring up greed, hatred, and delusion? Is it stirring up lust? Or is it stirring up inspiration and um, a movement towards what's good? Is it inspiring? Is it wholesome? Or if not, like one time I started thinking about of the movies I've seen, how many of them are people breaking the five precepts? Can I find any that they're not? Okay. Uh, hmm. <laughs> the one with the dog. Yeah, the art of racing in the rain. If you haven't seen it, honestly. <laughs> see it. We have a very short list of N-rated 
non-approved movies. <laughs> and um, and of, of course, you, you could also watch movies that where people are breaking the five precepts, but then the results are in line with what's happening, which is also an important lesson, right? So when we look at what's unbeautiful, it comes in... Um, you know the way the way we speak and the way we act and the, and the things we encourage and um, you know all different aspects of life and we can make choices about what we support and can and and further and what we don't. You know, the Buddha talked about pleasant feeling that we are beautiful things, really, that we don't have to be at all afraid of, that we don't have to, we don't have to limit ourselves on. Like when he talked about right intention, and he said, you know, the thoughts of... Uh, sensual desire, cruelty, and ill will are a wrong intention. Or those are those are thoughts that you put aside, you abandon, you don't put up with them. But he said the thoughts of renunciation, like the thoughts of letting go, the thoughts of, um, and that would could include the thoughts of giving, um, the thoughts of helping, the thoughts of goodwill, the thoughts of um, harmlessness. He said, you could think that all day and all night. You could think it all day and all night and all the next day. You could think it for the whole week. He said, you might get tired of thinking, but you're not going to hurt anyone. And, and so we can, we can look at our, our experience from this, through this lens and see if that encourages us to make any changes. And also, of course, the, the, the feelings, the wholesome feelings that come up from practicing, from meditating, from practicing in, in all the ways according to the Noble Eightfold Path. There's no harm in it. And, and it's, it's part of what's beautiful. Now sometimes this teaching can be picked up in the wrong way. Um, someone was telling me recently about a monk that they knew of. I don't know who it was or if it was a real person, but they said this monk didn't want to watch the sunset because it was a beautiful, sensual thing. And I actually don't see a problem with watching the sunset at all. Again, I don't think you're hurting anything. Yeah, you kind of need maybe to have this idea of I'm not coming back for that. <laughs> you know, not to get too wrapped up in things, but if you look at some of the um, verses, and I, I pulled out a, a portion of a verse from one of the monk's poems. So we have the Terigata 
that the elder nuns, the enlightened nuns, um, the verses they they created, and then we have the Teragata, Teragata, which is the elder monks. And a lot of the things that the elder monks express are about natural beauty. So this is part of the poem from Mahakasapa. Now he was one of the most well-known disciples of the Buddha, um, famous Arahant. And he was the one who was the most austere, like he, tough, very tough guy. The way he lived in very rough, you know, just very simple. And um, this is part of the poem. He, he lived on this mountain. And uh, strung with garlands of flowering vines, this patch of earth delights the mind. The lovely calls of elephants sound. These rocky crags do please me so. The shimmering hue of darkening clouds, cool waters and pure streams flowing, enveloped by Indra's ladybugs, these rocky crags do please me so. Like the lofty peaks of looming clouds, like the most refined of palaces, the lovely calls of tuskers sound, these rocky crags do please me so. The lovely ground is rained upon, the hills are full of holy seers, resounding with the cry of peacocks, these rocky crags do please me so. Being clothed in flaxen flowers as the sky is covered in clouds, strewn with flocks of various birds, these rocky crags so, do please me so. Not occupied by village folk, but visited by herds of deer, strewn with flocks of various birds, these rocky crags do please me so. With clear waters and broad boulders, holding troops of monkey and deer, Covered with moist carpets of moss, these rocky crags do please me so. But there is not so much contentment for me in the five-fold music as in truly seeing Dhamma well with a, with, with a well-concentrated mind. So in one translation of this, the... The refrain is, I love this mountain. <laughs> He's just like, I love this mountain. <laughs> and that's the way I feel about where we live. I love that mountain. <laughs> and it's, it's inspiring to be in nature like we are here and the moss, like I'm reading about the moss and the rain, and it's like, yeah. There's nothing wrong with letting that lift the heart. And yes, at the end, it's, it's not as good as deep meditation. It's not something we're going to crave, crave and, you know, get caught in samsara over. But we can certainly be inspired and happy in this world. So, using this practice of looking at what's unbeautiful, whenever we're caught in craving, 
for something helps. There's always a downside. Just looking at it helps. We can let go of the body. We can let go of the perception of self as the body. We can, we can stop comparing ourselves to others. And we can see clearly so that there's no more lust, hatred, or delusion. We can take it that far. I have one last poem. This is from the, the enlightened nun Abaya. Abaya means fearless. And this is um, possibly the Buddha had said these first lines to her before. And she's repeating them here. Abaya, the body is fragile, yet ordinary people are attached to it. I'll lay down the body aware and mindful. Though subject to so many painful things, I have, through my love of diligence, reached the ending of craving and fulfilled the Buddha's instructions. She's enlightened. And I really have been appreciating Ayasanta Chita's talks. Um, I do anyway, but especially these last couple where there's been so much encouragement for the practice to awaken. And I just hope and um, wish to support your understanding and um, faith that you can do this. I remember Ajahn Sumedho years ago saying that he felt like the thing people needed most was encouragement because it's here for you to practice, to pick up and use. And when you're feeling stress and suffering, that's the key indicator that there's something there that you can work with. And it's, um, it's possible. No. If you keep practicing, it's inevitable. So, if you ever feel discouraged, reach out to friends and let them help you remember. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate